Welcome back to Live Laugh Lorazepam. We have another great interview for you today. I'm going to ask Abigail, that was weird, Abby, to introduce her friend. Thank you. Um, you calling me Abigail immediately thinks I'm in tr- makes me think I'm in trouble. So cue my panic at the beginning of this episode. Um, You're welcome. But super excited to introduce my good friend Anna joining us on the pod today to um, share her perspective on her mental health journey and how Anna and I met is sort of a really funny story. We both signed up and attended Birthright, um, which is like a 10-day free trip to Israel for every for anyone under the age of, I believe it's 27, um, with Jewish heritage. And so we got to go to Israel and we, you know, got to know each other a little bit over those 10 days, but then we connected on Twitter after that and thus blossomed a beautiful friendship. Welcome, Anna. Hi, I'm so glad to be here. We're Thanks so happy to have you. Um, Anna, do you want to give us just a little bit of intro about what you do for work? What made you say yes to joining us on this pod? Sure. Um, so... I'm Anna. I live in Brooklyn, New York, um, with one very um, sassy calico cat. I work in environmental consulting. Um, I'm an environmental scientist. So basically, I work in STEM. I do a lot of different tasks from conducting environmental studies, writing reports, doing oversight of various different um, activities throughout the construction cycle to make sure that remedial systems go in. Um, I'm like kind of peripherally involved in design and and things like that with those systems. And um, I also do a lot of checks and follow-ups on remedial systems that are already in place to make sure that they're functional and working the way that we need them to. And yeah, it's a very kind of, there's a lot that I do as part of environmental consulting and I work in the field of environmental remediation which basically means um, it's very tied to land development, um, which basically means that I remediation is a catch-all term that we like to use for basically cleanup of contaminated really anything. So water, soil, um, often soil vapor, um, just a lot of things left behind by legacy pollution, sometimes current pollution. Oh, wow. Um, though there, though there's a lot of laws in place preventing that, um, but a lot of legacy pollution. Um, and I've been doing that for about six and a half years now. I used to work in government doing kind of the regulatory side and running programs. And now I work from the private sector side, actually kind of like doing the work and submitting stuff and, and you know, like being part of the, the functionality of those programs. Wow, that sounds, like, really intense. But also really <laughs> badass. Yeah, like, wow. I mean, because I feel like there's a lot that goes into construction that people don't know about, the before and after stuff. Yeah, um, I mean, a lot of, um, I think what comes to mind that people, I think, associate, the best association that I have that's more um, kind of buzzwordy is, like, Superfund, and this is, like, the nitty-gritty side of Superfund and how it actually gets done, mm-hmm. like, ups. Um 
And yeah, I mean, that's like kind of been a buzzword in environmental, you know, of late, because that was something that the Trump administration focused on a lot with the regulations and from a government perspective. So I kind of do the smaller, smaller scope ones. Um, That's, you know, the type of type of contamination I work with doesn't involve like crazy PPE or like Mm, yeah and things like that so not like the um most recent environmental disaster was it in ohio with the the trains yes that's... that's actually a great reference for what i do is that um i don't do emergencies like that but say something from that train spilled and started migrating in the groundwater to which i think actually did happen to surrounding communities yeah. what i do is i do that work and that those studies and that kind of like process to monitor and clean up and get those contaminants out of the groundwater. And if we can't, um, figuring out a way to make it protective for human health and the environment. Okay. So things that are like super, super, super important for us to be able to like live where we need to live. It's, I like to call it, um, cause I've worked in this and I also worked briefly in wastewater. It's really a forgotten piece of, um, environmental and climate work. Um, it's kind of like the 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 uh, underside because we have a lot of chemicals in our lives and a lot of things in our lives and we don't think about where they go. And mm. my job is kind of to think about where they go. And I there's a lot of I think it's really I find it really rewarding. <laughs> I like I'm sitting here thinking you're like Earth's superhero, like nature superhero. <laughs> I'll, I'll take it. I'll take it. I have a magnet that says Captain Planet is still my hero on my fridge that's amazing yes it came with the i dig brownfields t-shirt so anna can you talk to us a little bit about your experience with mental health and sort of when your journey started sure um so my journey started when i was very young the first time that i can really remember I don't want to say being depressed, but kind of, I guess, being depressed and putting a name to it was when I was 14. Um, I was on a camp trip. Like, a tra- I went to a travel camp, and we would go on these week-long trips. And I was in um, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, with some of my closest friends at the time. And I was just not having fun. And I was just down and not having fun. And everybody else was having fun. It was like, why can't I have fun? Um, and I remember, like... Pull it, like talking to one of my friends and being like, I think I might be a little depressed. And of course I was 14 and this was 2008. Mm. Um, and then fast forward about like two and a half years. And I struggled really hard with depression in um, high school. So I started seeing a therapist at 16, um, discovered that I had anxiety in college, got medicated for all of this stuff around like about age 20. And I've been kind of like in regular therapy and psychiatry since I was about like 23. Um, yeah. So it's been yeah. sort of like a, over time you started noticing, you know, it getting worse or yeah. your coping mechanisms not working as much and then needing to like seek help. Yeah. I mean, I, there's some pretty decent family history um, on my mother's side that I kind of found out as an adult, which I would have loved to have known sooner, but mm. you know, wouldn't it be nice <laughs> if parents told us things, right? Yeah. <laughs> so um, I was diagnosed when I was 20 um, with major depression and generalized anxiety disorder. And I think having that like name to it made me feel a little better about the way that I guess my brain is wired. 
what i'm just sorry i'm shaking my head over here and like yes shaking my head like uh that's the same i am also uh major depressive and generalized anxiety and getting the name and being like oh like just it made it yeah more because up until that point it's like it's a mystery why do i feel this way why do i feel this way and someone's like hey here's the name and the answer for the thing that you're feeling and you're validated in that moment yeah and then i discovered quite quickly afterward that like it's an answer but it's not a real answer it's just a name yep (laughs) um but yeah it was very so that's kind of a brief very quick synopsis quick and dirty synopsis of my mental health journey it's gone it's you know i mean i've been seeing a therapist regularly for like five years now and i've had four therapists in that time and it's been quite a journey with all of them but yeah (laughs) here we are it's a lot of work to find someone that you fit with and feel comfortable talking with and like you know the work is leading to something yeah it um... and takes your insurance and it's relatively affordable yes oh my gosh yes (laughs) i stopped therapy when i turned 26 because my my therapist's office didn't take my insurance and i didn't want to see anyone else (laughs) i just stopped i was like okay I stayed at a clinic, um, even though the therapist that I had there, I had a really great therapist um, at a clinic in New York City, and she was great, and she left the clinic, and the clinic always had a lot of turnover, and I had another therapist through that clinic, and she was like, it worked, but it wasn't really like a perfect match, but it was so affordable, and I was so afraid of losing my spot and losing that affordability, Mm because I really couldn't. Um, yeah. And then I finally kind of took the jump when that therapist left and I was assigned another therapist who was just like, we really clashed. And I was like, you know what? We need to find someone effective. Yeah, it is. It's like dating. It's like very strange. You're like, sometimes you get along. Sometimes you don't get along. Sometimes like, you're like, wow, I really didn't like any of that feedback that you just got, just gave me. Like I've gotten mad sometimes. There were some therapists I saw where I was like mad and I was like, I shouldn't leave therapy more upset and like angry than when I enter. Those were my high school, when I was in therapy in high school, trying to find someone, I would leave pissed. And I was like, you are not hearing me. Like, I just thought of a story for another time about my therapy journey. This is not me. <laughs> this is um, not no, interviewing me. I think it's really helpful that we're all talking about this, though, because it made me think about um, like that therapist that really didn't work for me. Like she was very much like a psychoanalytical kind of therapist and like that method really doesn't work for me. Mm. And then I kind of moved on to like a more, like just a different method. And um, that really works for me. (laughs) But it's interesting that we've all had that kind of like common thread of like, we've had some therapists that have made it, made things worse and they're supposed to make things better. Um, yeah. I'm not obviously not advocating against therapy, but it's just so interesting how that is. I have, wait, I have one question. Have you ever had a therapist fall asleep on you? <laughs> no. no, you, you win then you win. You win. We, for we whatever both. reason, Julie and I both have had therapists fall asleep, like in the middle of a session, like, like knock up, like fully wow. eyes closed. And <laughs> we were like, oh, that's okay. what coffee is for. I'm sorry. <laughs> it was, oh, I kept talking though. Oh, I definitely did. And I was just like giggling to myself because the lady I had was also like much older and she was like, she retired during COVID too. So she, she was like, oh, perfect opportunity to like, to stop working. Um, so I wanted to ask a little bit about like the combination of the, the job we talked about at the beginning and then 
sort of your journey with mental health. It sounds like you work in an industry that's like kind of high stress. Like what you're doing is really important. And also there's a lot of details and a lot of like science going into things. Um, much of which goes right over my head sometimes just because I'm not a science brained person. But so how do you balance like that high stress environment, a high stress job with making sure that your mental health is still, you know, that you're doing okay? We do the best we absolutely can. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You gleaned onto the high stress and that is so accurate. Um, I worked for the New York City government for a long time and I worked, um, and this is not, I want to just kind of put it out there, not that any of my former coworkers or, you know, city employees or whatever, um, it's government is high stress and Mm. working in New York City is high stress. There's very much this work hard, play hard mentality. Everyone is, um, the pace is so fast Mm. Um, and that's sometimes I go into therapy and all we talk about is something that happened at work because I need to have that opportunity to just let it out and say what I need to say. Um, I think what can make mental health and my job a little challenging is that STEM STEM is a really interesting field because you're working with people who are like, you're working with a whole spectrum of people and ideals and you can work with like, I have a coworker who is, I've had some coworkers who are like really, really like crazy left wing. And I've had to work with people who are like, where who have like, let's go Brandon stickers on their hard hats mm. Um, which, you know, again, like it's not a moral judgment. It's just uh, the spectrum of people is so wide and some people, um, like my buddy at work, I can just be like, you know, Hey Patrick, like I got to hang up this phone call cause I got to head to therapy and he's like, cool, have a good session. Um, you know, but some of the other people that I work with, um, I don't want to pick on construction sites, but it's the truth. You know, I don't even tell that, like, I'll say I have a dentist appointment or I have a medical appointment Mm -hmm. or I have an appointment. There's so many appointments that you can have. It's a lot you can glean, you can like mine out of that. I have an appointment. Yes. Yeah. And though it's for them, it's like more accepting of a dentist appointment. Yeah. They're not going to question it or say anything or comment or judge. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a scary thing. It's, um, I decided when I, I changed jobs about a year ago and I decided when I changed jobs that I was going to be, um, I was going to be honest with my supervisor and with my coworkers about the fact that I have therapy, you know, my therapy day is on Thursdays and I was going to be honest with them about where I was going. And that was kind of, it was, it was a scary decision to make. Um, but it's also a lot harder. It's, it's a lot easier when you're not hiding or covering up a part of you because I think mental health struggles help form who you are, even if the actual mental health, whatever you're dealing with doesn't, um, mm-hmm. I think you can glean a lot of like bravery and courage and resiliency from that. And it, it's hard to walk into a place and not be able to express that part of yourself. I, I, love that concept of being honest in the workplace and just like 
like come as you are sort of a mentality. I did the same thing when I switched to my new job. I was like, you know what? I have therapy every single Wednesday at 3 p.m. and putting it on my calendar. And I say, I'm out of office, but my boss knows if he asks like, can you move this? I say, no, it's my therapy appointment that does not move weekly. So I, I we got to work around that. And it's astounding to me. I think I expected more resistance or like, what? Every week? What? But instead what I've gotten is, okay, sounds great. See you after your appointment. Yeah. I was um, also did the same as both of you and went into this job being like, this is me. <laughs> I have these appointments. This is how I live basically yeah. and like I let it all out like they all they know everything they know if, if I have a panic attack I just tell them I can't come in today and I'm working from home um everyone always used to ask why I bring my laptop home every night even if I'm supposed to be in the office the next day and I was like I never know if I'm going to wake up with enough strength to go into the office despite being in a really good spot right now I still bring it home and they were like oh wow um but I'm just like but that like, that like honesty, I feel like is super helpful for other people too. Because I mean, I have like younger coworkers who work under me that like I show up one day and I'm like, Hey, I'm having a really bad mental health day. Um, I'm going to be a little MIA on Slack today, but feel free to shoot me a message. I'll go back to you when I can, like I'm going to work on X, Y, Z. And it's, it's been really helpful for the other people in my office to feel comfortable saying the same to me to be like, Oh, like I know she's a safe place or she understands what it feels like to experience mental health problems. And so therefore when they're having a day, they can also say, Hey, I'm going to be honest. I'm just not feeling it today. I'm really down on the dumps, like whatever the case may be. And I think like our generation is trying to like, I think we're doing a good job of setting that sort of not expectation, but that normal. We're normalizing yeah. it. It's just like you would say, I thought you have a headache or a sore throat. It's my mental health is off today. Yeah. I my like I'm working on not letting it tear apart my whole day, but just know I'm not going to be as responsive as I normally am. Yeah. Um, Such an interesting conversation to listen to. Sorry, I just jumped in. No, no, you, uh, please. But it's such an interesting conversation to listen to because a big part of my job um, that I didn't mention before is field work. And we have a field work schedule and that construction site, you, you got to be there. And it's so interesting to listen to your experience because while my office can be as supportive as they can, I don't have the luxury of like, I'm going to work from home today mm. or I'm going to be less responsive today. Like when I'm on that construction site, if I'm having a good mental health day, a bad mental health day, somewhere in the middle, like I got to be on my toes and focused because if I'm not focused, I get run over by an excavator. And I oh know that God. sounds really stupid, but it's like very much a safety issue. Um, so it's really interesting to hear it because I think that's the biggest challenge of what kind of makes my job very high stress is that we don't have a lot of ability to step away. And I've noticed that. And it sucks. <laughs> now, I'm really glad you said that because, I mean, we've talked to a few other people in various jobs as well who, like, they don't have the option to yeah. turn off their camera in a meeting or they don't have the option to not go in that day. We're very privileged in, yeah. in how we can handle our mental health and our job. We Yeah, for sure. And I think that there's, like, a, a huge amount of, like, industries and career paths that people take where, like, that's not an option. And so, therefore... <laughs> 
figuring out ways to like cope and move through it because you have to, like you have no choice, but how can you still like, you know, make sure that you're doing it in the healthiest way possible for you. Um, and it sounds like, well, yeah, I mean, it sounds like that high stress job sounds like you're handling it as well as you can. We do the best we can. We go day by day. We do the best we can. Um, it's been quite a challenge handling the very, um, anything can happen in the field and it's very like, I have another, um, I have a, I have a friend that I met through work and we are, we are like, she's like a lifeline because we're both, um, very detail oriented and we both deal with stress by like organization and labeling and all that good stuff. Oh, love it. (laughs) You can't like, I've been in field situations where everything is just completely on the fly. And my anxiety is like insane. And that's like, it's a big complaint that I have with my industry is that so many people at the top, they'll be very understanding that you're taking care of your mental health at therapy But when it comes to actually teaching you how to manage your stress, like in the field or in the office, they're kind of like, be calm, cool and collected. And I'm like, how, (laughs) how, when all of my, like all of my coping that, you know, some people need to do their, you know, when they work in offices, they need to do their Excel spreadsheet or they can get into reviewing a document or a budget or something like that. And it kind of like helps them ground themselves. And I'm like, my grounding technique is to pre-label everything. You're telling me I can't pre-label. Like, how do you stay calm, cool, and collected? And I, I really wish there was more. Um, so that's what I try and do when I'm, you know, training training younger staff or just being able to take whatever opportunities I have in that mentor role is, like, to be really mindful of the honesties of the work that we do and the fact mm. that it is stressful. And I think it's I think that the way that my industry works makes it more stressful and more stressful than it needs to be um, by kind of saying, like, get used to doing things on the fly. Yeah. This kind of brings me to another question. Well, it's, uh, it's you kind of answered it already, but I want to go into more detail. When you are having a bad mental health day at work, how do you cope with it so you can get through your day and not get run over by an excavator? excavator. <laughs> oh, gosh. Um So something that I really like to do is um, I take really detailed field notes. And um, when I'm on sampling jobs or something like that, I keep a figure of kind of our site map with all of our wells or whatever it is. Um, And I try and use things like that that kind of help me of like, this feels organized in the middle of all of this chaos. But it's certainly a skill I'm still working on. And I wish I had a better answer than it's a skill I'm still working on. Um, I've definitely cried out of frustration a bunch. Same. Um, right me then. and the, uh, me, I have this one site that we do regular maintenance on and they have an oil water separator, which is um, kind of, I guess, remedial technology is the easiest way to put it. And like, we, we've gone through some crying together. <laughs> I've, I've named some of my, I, I've named some of the equipment because it makes it feel more human. I'm like, Hey, Phil, um, Phil is the shop back. <laughs> the pump is named Kelly. Shout out to Kelly, who is my other, um, STEM buddy. 
and we we text a lot but yeah i mean i've definitely just like cried in the field when i can um on construction sites you can't do that because you cannot show any weakness is that um, sorry is that because it's like male dominated in the construction construction world it is male dominated in pretty much every world i inhabit (laughs) yeah so like especially on the job and even there are women in construction and the site that I'm on most regularly, that's an active construction site actually does have um, two women who are pretty badass and, you know, but you have to have this sense of um, strength and badassery and like take no shit about you. Mm. Um, And it's very much one. You have to earn, earn your place and earn that respect because the, the thought pro- we're—it's—it's it's a whole do- it's a whole other world. Um, it's it's interesting because I, I went to Temple um, this morning and I had to, like, in my head I was like, "You're not on a construction site anymore. You have to like shift your your worldview." And a lot of the people who you know, a lot of the people who work there, you know, who work in that industry, they're sensitive and emotive and. They're great people, but the culture is not about being sensitive and emotive. Mm. It's about being, getting a job done and being strong. And I wouldn't say that it's like deliberately, um, deliberately unfriendly or unempathetic, but it's certainly... It's certainly not a place you have to earn every ounce of empathy and all of that that you're going to get if you get any at all. So you always basically like you always have to present as a badass bitch, even on the days you're not feeling like a badass bitch. You just have to. Um, Absolutely. Um, So I try and take my coffee breaks and lunch breaks as best I can, Um, even if getting off the site for 20 minutes is what I have to do. Yes. Use your Um, breaks. Yeah. We're big about making sure you use your earned time. Yes. <laughs> yes. And I think also just finding little spaces. And this is something I've done all my life in like every environment I've ever been in. But like you find those like little spaces that um, you can kind of hide in a little bit and just have that, you know, little little room. And a lot of times I will just kind of walk off the site, um, go get some coffee, um, go get some lunch. I, I mean, I have to do these things, um, but, you know, a lot of the guys on the site know that, I mean, first of all, I feel very uncomfortable accepting their offer of like, hey, let me get you a coffee. And I'm sure we can put two and two together as to why. Um, but something that I always say is like, no, like, I want to go get my own coffee because I need that time of just like getting my own coffee, putting my headphones in. Yeah. Um, that's another big coping mechanism is music. It helps me stay calm, um, especially on these, especially on site. Cannot use headphones on a construction site, but you can use headphones when you're on break. And um, I actually was just talking to my therapist about this. Yay, for therapy. (laughs) Um, That I have a job coming up this week where I'm doing a whole bunch of groundwater sampling and I'm planning to bring my headphones and just kind of pound that music to help keep me calm and help keep the stress levels manageable yeah 
and I just don't have to hear everyone asking me questions as to what I'm doing <laughs> on the sidewalk. Um, You're like headphones. Well, you know, lady scientists, and I think this also contributes to the stress and contributes to the strain is, um, lady scientists, you're just doing your thing on the street, um, doing cool water quality sampling and people feel like they can talk to you. They can honk at you that they can say things that they wouldn't say to like your male colleagues. And it's very, um, we actually had a women's only meeting at work back in October, just to all be there in solidarity and say like, Hey, this job is different. And it's got its unique challenges to being one of our gender. So you've touched upon it like a, a few great topics and, and like one being that STEM in general is a very like male dominated field still, even though there's been like such a push the last, I don't know, few decades. Um, but that, I can like, elaborate that on that if you want. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely want you to elaborate because I, I think that being, I think that, sorry. <laughs> technical difficulties I I think that there is a lot about STEM that I I personally was never really good at like math or science I always went in a different direction but I think there's also a side to the STEM area that is intimidating to me and especially I think that does play back into my gender a bit and so it, it is a space that I feel like you have to like you have to break into or you have to like go in and really know your shit. And it's almost like you're held to a different standard and that I, I, I like hate that. I love that there's more women in STEM, but then I like, I hate that they have to work twice as hard or put up with twice as much bullshit than their male companions. And I would love for you to talk about what it's like being a woman in STEM and sort of those little moments of people just feeling like they can come up to you and like criticize or ask questions or honk at you. I mean, they definitely wouldn't do that to your male coworkers? No. Um, I think the best story that I have is um, when I was in college, I worked for a summer at, um, shout out to Passaic Valley Valley Sewerage Commission, handling five counties worth of sewage in New Jersey. Um, It's probably one of my favorite work I've ever done. So shout out to them. Um, But we used to do, we were part of a program monitoring the ambient water quality of the New York City Harbor. And just a quick kind of like hydro, quick little hydro lesson. Um, A watershed is a very big area and it's all of the different tributaries and streams and rivers that end up in a specific basin or water body. Mm. So we would drive all over northern New Jersey sampling different water bodies that different water bodies that all fed into the New York Harbor. And I was in the elevator once with, there were three interns, myself and two men. And I was in the elevator once with one of my male, um, interns. So we were, you know, same pay, same everything. We did the same work and he was, and I said, you know, I said something about how me and my female partner, Prue, shout out to Prue. She's wonderful. Um, every time we were out on mobile lab, taking samples off bridges, um, someone would say something, they'd cat call us, they'd ask us questions, they'd honk at us. And then when I told that to Ryan, he was like, no one does that when I'm out there. 
And I kind of gave him a look like, why don't we, you know, we're all all ladies here. So we know why. Ryan's brain wasn't moving on that wavelength at that time. Um, But it's a really, it's something that definitely hasn't changed um, since back in 2015. And I think that STEM is, there's definitely a lot more women in STEM than there used to be, which is great. But I think something that gets really lost in statistics and numbers is that the number of women in STEM might be a certain number, but what's important and much more impactful is not the number of women, but the number of women in leadership roles Mm -hmm. and the number of women in higher positions and the number of women in managerial positions because only, you know, it's great that we have this push, but of course, everybody starts at the bottom. Yep. Whether you're male, female, whatever you are, whoever you are, everybody starts at the bottom. STEM is a very, um, actually, I'm not even going to say that because there's plenty of nepotism and all that fun stuff. But... Nepo babies. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it's, it's also a field of like connections and knowing people and working those connections. And that's how I have pretty much made my career is like building good relationships with people and like using those relationships to advance myself um which is not obviously not stem specific that's applicable pretty much any yeah um so i think that that's the biggest challenge is that we as women in stem we're often pitted against each other we are often um higher up women sometimes you sometimes I think feel threatened by younger women coming in. Um, we're often pitted against each other. I just said that. I'm sorry. No, you're fine. No, that's um, fine. We're, it's, it's a really interesting dynamic and there's usually, we're few and far between in the leadership and yeah, a lot of women who've been in STEM for a long time, um, are not they've really fought to get there and they've put up with a lot of crap and Mm -hmm. it's not that us younger women haven't put up with a lot of crap but there is very much an attitude there of like you went i went through it so you can go through it too yep and there's a toughness there and it's very hard to break through that toughness and i think that there's it's hard to find you know you start in a company or in government or just in a job and you meet this really awesome, really badass woman who's leading things and you just want to be her and you want to be mentored by her. And she may not want to mentor you because you're a threat or she doesn't like the way that you think about things or she's had to be really, really tough and, isn't going to ever let up on being tough on you because she feels she needs to make you tougher. Yeah. That's a really, really good point. Um, in relation to like different generations, but I think it, I notice it a lot between women particularly as well. The like, well, I had to pull myself up by my bootstraps and I had to work really hard and I had to work twice as hard as everyone else to get where I am. So you have to do the same thing. And then we almost like perpetuate this cycle of, like borderline like sort of like abuse to get where you like that you need to work so much harder than everyone to get 
anywhere near close to where I am as well. And I think it's done in a way, and I can only speak for myself, my own experiences, but I think it, in my experiences, it's been done as like, I'm trying to help you. I'm, it's like, I'm trying to toughen you up or thicken your skin so that you're prepared for whatever comes your way. But the, one of the things we need to acknowledge too, is that like, hopefully things are changing and things should be changing. And as things change, the hope is that we then don't have to be put through the ringer every single time you want to move up. And so it should be a different experience, but those different generations, it's, it's, there's, I think, I think at the end of the day, there's like a little bit of like resentment or jealousy that like, well, I had to do it tougher. I had to do twice as much work. I hate that because I worked in construction, but marketing side of construction, but I was with the guys all the time Mm -hmm. and faced some sexual harassment, like just verbally, but still sexual harassment. And it, it sucked. And I would never want to be like, I went through that. So you have to go through that. Hell no. I went through that, tried to change things. So you would never have to go through that. Yeah. But I think that's also our generation. Like, I think I think millennials in 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 general like approach things that way, that like wow, no one should have to do that, no one should have to experience that. That was bullshit, and I want to change it. But I don't think that change was available for a lot of the previous generations, and so therefore it was like, I got to toughen her up so that she's ready because change isn't going to happen. But now that we're slowly like change is a little bit more available or we're trying to, we're pushing the envelope a little more. And so our generation is like, uh, uh-uh, heck no, stop that train right there in those tracks. <laughs> we're not doing that anymore, which is wonderful for the next generation behind us who now, you know, they have a little bit more wiggle room and then the next generation, a little bit more wiggle room. And hopefully the hope is that we're just slowly, slowly creating change. They're um, so good at advocating for themselves. Mm-hmm. I yes. Have- so like for a lot of reasons I'm in a weird place in my career where I work with a lot of of, um where a lot of my peers are Gen Z even though they're not really my peers Mm -hmm. um which can be a challenge but it's a talk for another day and some of these girls I'm like in awe of their like ability to say no and their their boundaries and I just you know there's a I think it it's it's very STEM has a very old school definition of toughness mm-hmm. and these girls are really pushing the envelope with what they see as toughness and the best that I can do I don't really see my field um changing anytime soon I don't see a lot of the fields that we deal you know I talk about construction a lot, but I'm not in construction. I'm in environmental consulting. We just work so much hand in hand with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I see, I see these like Gen Z women and I'm like, gosh, you guys are so like, you guys are so good at saying no, no, I will not do this instead of, you know, and I do see also sometimes that's kind of a clash with the older women in the office, but yeah. like, that's, you know, I'm not getting involved in, for my own mental health, I'm not getting involved <laughs> in anybody else's clashes. <laughs> but we're such we're such people pleasers. Mm. Like I don't advocate for myself or say no. I do. This is what I say at work: is like I'm raising my warning flag. Like I am about to be underwater. <laughs> I'm raising my warning. I do. I say I'm raising my flag. I love that. Um, and that's legit how I say it when I am hitting. Like I have no capacity left for anything else. 
but I don't say no. I'm just like, I'm giving you the warning that yeah, it's a gentle. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to collapse internally <laughs> if you job. give me one more thing. In my old job, I used to tell my supervisor all the time because he would ask me if I had capacity for a new project and I would be like, I don't have capacity now, but I will have capacity in two weeks when this project is finished. And it's like, you're not saying no, like you're saying no right now, but you're not saying no to like the constant, yeah. you know, like more work. And it's, I don't know. It's really STEM is, is such a, it's a fantastic field. And I really encourage women to follow their passions and go into it. And I also encourage women, like if it's not for you, like don't, you know, if it's not for you, don't do it. But yeah. I would also encourage, especially younger women, like find your niche. And if it's not there, really like make your niche. And if this, you know, the company that you work for or the culture that you're in, or you don't want to do, you know, these jobs that make like, there is something else out there for you. I think STEM is very expansive. I think it's a great field. And I think women are very good at it. And I think that that also um, can kind of scare the men that we work with a little bit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, because a lot of them, a lot of them, they try to be simp. They, they cannot be empathetic. They try to be sympathetic. Um, but they'll never fully, they'll never no, fully I understand it's great that we have their support and their sympathy, but I also think that there's a lot of men who feel comfortable in male dominated fields. Um, and I don't want to put anybody down for that. Like, I think we all have our preferences about the type of people that we want to hang out with and that's absolutely fine. Um, so it's, we're also hitting up on that. There's a lot of guys who want it to stay a boys club because they're more comfortable in a boys club. Oh, and for sure. that's, I really, I'd like to, I'd like to, to put it down, but I, I, I can't cause I have my own, like, I have my own preferences about who I want to hang out with and who I want to work with. And, you know, sometimes I do feel more comfortable around the men in my field than the women in my field. Yeah. There's something to be said about that. And I mean, there is nothing wrong with like, you have a comfort zone. There are certain places and people that I feel more comfortable being around than others. And that's just you know, my own internal bias, but my mm -hmm. own, like what I'm willing to, um, the comfort level that I'm willing to embrace in that moment sort of a thing. And I, I think there's a lot of industries that are, you know, male heavy or female heavy. And like, there's nothing wrong with feeling comfortable in those areas. I just, I just hope that the people that are the minorities in those areas, then, you know, can feel comfortable over time as well, that we create space for the people as well. Dem is real white male. <laughs> as a Cuban woman, it is real white male. And, yeah. White, um, yeah, white cis male too. Yeah. Yes, that was the other thing that I was thinking about is that all of this kind of gender politics that I'm talking about is very grounded in that cis world. Mm -hmm. And I'm not... I, I'm not a trans person and I don't ever want to speak for someone or something that I'm not, but it, I can't, I have a very dear friend who is trans and she's an engineer and the toughness and the badassery and the just walking in there of like, we all know what's up and you guys are going to just have to put up with it that she has to do. It's, it's exhausting. 
just like and purely existing in a space, like not even yeah. doing the job yet, just existing. Mm-hmm. And that exists for, for trans women, for cis women. Um, I'm sure, uh, you know, and I think it extends also to trans men, to gay cis men. Um, there's certainly a lot of homophobia out there. Um, you know, as a, as a bisexual woman, like, I very much kind of lean into that, like, straight passing side. You know, when I talk about who I date, I'm aware of the pronouns. (laughs) Yeah. And I have that privilege, and I very much recognize it. But I think, you know, kind of coming back to a mental health place, like, all of this can be really exhausting, and it can be a lot of strain on a brain that is often, you know, I'm coming from a place where my brain already kind of sucks at processing things. (laughs) Same. And then I want to throw a whole bunch of strain on it. And it's, I work in STEM, but so much of my work is like interpersonal and people. And, you know, like I, two weeks ago, I had an opportunity to sit in the office with an Excel spreadsheet all day. And I think it was like the best day I've had at work this year. <laughs> I do because that. I was just sitting there making formulas, hanging out with, because data don't care. Data yeah. is just data. That's why, I'm a, that's why I'm a data analyst. It doesn't care who I am. Yeah. And that is the beauty about science and STEM is that it can be like the greatest field for someone with anxiety because it's so detail oriented and it's so, there's so many things to think about and it's so complex. And there's a part of my very, you know, that side of my lizard brain that's like, yes, (laughs) feed me more. And then there's the other side of my brain that's like, fuck, feed me less. (laughs) That's amazing. Um, so I, I want to touch upon something that you and I have talked about this before, um, but you have experienced long COVID and your comment about like the mental exhaustion and sort of like that, that extra mental load that you have on top of the job and the physical side of it. How has like long COVID played into sort of your mental health and your experience in your industry? Oh gosh. I mean, Long COVID plays into your whole life. Like, let, you know, your job is one thing, but um, long COVID, I, it's, I struggle very hard to explain what it's like, but it's like waking up one morning and all of a sudden you have this chronic disease that you've never had before. And your body doesn't want to do the things that it used to do very easily. Mm. And the medical community is still learning about it. Um, I was diagnosed with long, I was, I had, we think, you know, it was never tested. So we assume I had COVID in March of 2020 and I was diagnosed with long COVID in August of 2020. And it took years for doctors to figure out basic things. And I'm very lucky and I live in New York and I have access to great care and I'm very lucky that I have the insurance that pays for the care, but I've been, it's been such a journey on the mental side with my therapist because you have to deal with the fact that your life has changed. And I think change is a really difficult thing for those of us who struggle with mental health to handle because we all like our routine. Um, Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, we all like a routine. And another thing is, so long COVID manifests itself differently for different people. But something for me is that it, um, I have chronic fatigue. And chronic fatigue is, fatigue, being fatigued is different than being tired. You know, when you're tired, you can kind of push yourself and like, you get home from work and you're tired and you're like, oh, all I want to do is like lay in my bed and I don't want to do anything. And, you know, you're like, fine, I'll go take a shower. I'll go make dinner. Like fatigue is like your body hurts. Mm. That push becomes less of a, okay, let me just do the thing from like, okay, there is pain associated with this thing. Can I ask how it compares? Um, Because you mentioned you had major, you said major depression, right? Yeah. Um, one I didn't want to say the wrong thing. Uh, I'm also uh, major depressive, like I said. But how does the fatigue from being in a really bad spot with depression, that kind of uh, fatigue compared to long COVID fatigue for you? There's no pain. Um, my fatigue for COVID is very, very physical. Um, my body is so tired. My brain, like the physical part of my brain, not necessarily like the mental part of my brain. Um, my body will hurt. Like my, my limbs will ache. Um, and I don't get that when I'm depressed, I have like a lack of will to do things. But I think this is kind of an interesting, um, comparison because like, I don't know about you too, but when I'm sick just in general, and I'm not talking COVID, I'm just talking like nausea or the stomach bug or the flu. My mental side of that is like, (laughs) I I, like crumble. We talked about this a few days ago, me and you. Yeah. Like, and if I'm nauseous, I'm immediately weepy and it affects me so quickly mentally as well. And so I, I, I wonder sometimes about people who are experiencing chronic pain in general like long lasting and like how much more pressure and stress that is on them mentally as well. Yeah, (laughs) it's, it's stressful. Um, It's stressful. It's hard. It does feel depressing sometimes, Um, you know, cause you can't get up and take care of yourself. And that's hard, especially when you use that as a, that's always been my trigger of like, okay, sweetie, like the depression might be knocking on the door when I like, don't feel like showering or don't feel like cooking. And then all of a sudden it became like, I don't feel like showering because I'm so tired. I don't want to leave my bed. Mm. And I had to learn like, what is a trigger of a long haul episode versus like, what is a trigger of a depressive episode? And it's, it, it can be quite, quite challenging. Um, and sort of the, long the, like, is, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was gonna, I was going to say like the mental load of just having to like catalog, which one is it? Like, what am I experiencing today? And like, what are my symptoms and how are they going to play out in an effort to like combat sort of the next step or. Yeah. Which skill do you take yeah. out of the bag to handle today? Yeah. Like which demon am I battling next? Like that's, that's a lot of like, just to like we talked about a few minutes ago, like just purely existing is that's exhausting. That's, that sounds exhausting. And so then I imagine that it is actually very exhausting. Yeah. It's very exhausting. Um, there's, there's no, no if about it. 
Um, and again, like this is my experience with long COVID and other people have different experiences. And I think that what makes my experience kind of unique is that I also work a very physically demanding job and I don't have the ability to, um, do the kind of like resting that Mm -hmm. others can do in dealing with this, um, you know, condition. Mm -hmm. And I've had to fight really hard at points with work, um, in my old job, my new job, um, just, just to kind of get those accommodations that I need to rest. And it's, it's very, um, it's really difficult. It's like that game that you play to teach people about privilege where, you know, like everyone stands on the line and then you read out, like, if you have two parents, then takes two steps forward. Oh, oh yes. Yeah. I was like, yeah. And so like, sometimes I feel, um, sometimes it can be really frustrating because I'm kind of facing, um, you know, I'm facing the world with a certain number of steps, steps back and a certain amount of less capacity. And something that my mom actually reminded me a couple of weeks ago when I was kind of struggling was, um, that, it's hard to get people to like understand that my body is coming from a place that's a few steps back than other people's bodies. And I'm also doing a job that's typically done by people who are like five to six, Mm -hmm. sometimes seven years younger than me. And like when you're 22, it's a lot easier than when you're 28, almost 29. (laughs) And we've, we've talked about this before too, that like when someone is suffering from something you can see, you people have a certain response to it they go oh you're sick like oh okay I can see it and when you're suffering from something that people can't see there's like a a, like not a lack of understanding but trouble sometimes like getting people to take it seriously Mm -hmm. because they can't physically see the thing that you're battling or dealing with there's no broken arm there's no broken foot right no there's no cast for my depression like (laughs) there is it's called a weighted blanket (laughs) Um, but and I, cats. And cats. Um, I hate to do this, but we do have to wrap up. Um, but I want to give you the opportunity to say anything else or any anything you want to add before we say goodbye. Yeah, any advice you might have for other people maybe experiencing what you're experiencing or just a last little bit of um, brilliant insight you might want to share it's not your fault. It's not your fault that all of this is happening. Um, I think that sometimes it's a lot, you know, when you carry a lot of weight and there's a lot of things that you bear in life, it's very easy to, um, it's very easy to take responsibility for them to a point where, you know, you're, you're, twisting yourself around into different shapes to make sure that your issues don't affect other people. Um, whether that's at work, whether that's in a personal life, like it's, it's not your fault and it's not something that, you know, you, you are who you are and you shouldn't have to become some sort of strange shape to fit into your life. If your life is not fitting you, you know, it's very challenging, I think, to be a square peg in a round hole, but be, be square, you know, be, let, let those days that suck, suck and 
yeah, um, I guess approach the world with honesty and approach yourself with kindness and give yourself space to make mistakes and struggle and flounder around a little bit because I certainly have done that myself. And so much of this is just winging it and trying things. And sometimes they work and sometimes they don't and learning as you go. Um, and then the other, the last thing, and this is something that I remind myself all the time is that, um, just because something happened to you doesn't mean that you have to be thankful for it. You can learn from it and take what you want from it. And, um, you know, let that, let that be. That was beautiful. Thank you. That was the best ending of podcast we've ever had. I know. I'm like tearing up a little bit. (laughs) That's one just so powerful. And I think it's going to help a lot of people. Yeah. Thank you so, so much for like sharing your story with us, giving us a little bit more insight. Taking time out of your day to talk to us. This has been so wonderful. And we're so grateful to have you on the show. I have one last question. We do song of the episode and you mentioned that music is a coping skill for you. Do you want to give a song for the episode? I would love to. I would, I would love to. Um, I, (laughs) there's this song, um, it's called Disloyal Order, um, Disloyal Order of Water Buffaloes by Fall Out Boy. And I love that song. And it's off of, um, I love Fall Out Boy. They're my favorite band. And the line in the chorus is, nobody wants to hear you sing about tragedy. And I always think of it in this really tongue-in-cheek way of, like, nobody wants to hear you sing about tragedy. Like, yeah, but I'm going to anyway. So, so, yeah. Badass. Thank you. That was amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast. Make sure you follow us on Instagram at livelaughlorazepam and slide into our DMs to share your story or provide feedback. Make sure you subscribe. Call or text 988, the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline, for free and confidential support to people in suicidal crisis or emotional distress.